Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. It is the 13th of August, and uh, I am just returned from uh, my home. What was that? Oh, that's you. I thought I shut everybody down. Okay. Um, From my home state of Wisconsin, which is uh, figuring prominently in a lot of news uh, in the last few days because they've got a primary, I guess, on Tuesday uh, where the Democrats are going to choose who will attempt to dislodge the loathsome governor, Scott Walker, from uh, the seat he has held there for some time. Um, And, you know, as usual, Democrats have a whole bunch of folks running, not one of whom is particularly charismatic, but it might just be enough not to be Scott Walker. Let's hope. Um, That being said, I don't recall seeing many street signs up and around in uh, Green Bay when I was was there, certainly not with his name on him. So that's a good sign. Anyway, um, I was attending my mother's 96th birthday and uh, on on her uh, 96th birthday, that was Saturday, um, I was staying in a hotel, not at the house, and I I got to the house around 9, 9.30 in the morning, and um, I looked out the window in the backyard, and there she was, the 96-year-old, in the swimming pool in the backyard, back and forth, back and forth, like clockwork. She just, I mean, I can't, I cannot do what she does in that pool. I cannot. I'd be, uh, my arms would be exhausted. My, um, of course, I mean, maybe if I worked at it, I could, but she's pretty amazing and still going really strong. Um, I think, Amy, did you post that yet? Amy, Amy's posting a, picture that I took that day um, of my mother so you can um, see that when Susan and I and my my brother you know rave about her uh, and her beauty you'll see I she's got to be one of the prettier 96 year olds around I don't know I mean how how you're still pretty at 96 jeez anyway Susan and I are sick of not being as pretty as our mom. And, you know, we figured at some point we'd overtake her just by virtue of age, and it, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> just darn. All girls want to at least be as good-looking as their moms. Uh, and we are not. I will tell you that. So um, we had a great time, wonderful time family continues to grow. There was a little two-month-old baby there, the newest addition, and uh, family family is wonderful. I have to tell you this bizarre story, though, uh, without saying, I suppose, too much, but um, about six, seven months ago, I received a 
very official looking letter from somewhere, I think it was in Arizona, uh, from a company I'd never heard of, but it was addressed to me, and, and it said um, in very sober tones that they were in touch with me because they believed that I was a descendant of a woman who was dead <laughs> and had left no heirs. <laughs> These are the kind of letters that people dream of getting, right? Uh, had left no heirs. And uh, they were trying to ascertain whether or not I was one. And they had this woman's name, you know, it was uh, in regard to the estate of, I'm not going to give her name, blank, blank. And I looked at that name and I thought, what? First of all, it was like a Scandinavian name. I mean, it, it was no name I'd ever heard of. It made no sense. I just thought, you're out of your mind. And I um, did not write back or get in touch. Um, I Maybe about a month later, I got another letter saying, you did not get very close, and we still believe that you are blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out, I'm not the only one getting these letters, of course. Susan had gotten one, <laughs> and my brother had gotten one, and some of our first cousins, I guess all of them, had gotten one. And lo and behold, it turns out this is a a cousin, a second cousin, I guess, or first cousin once removed, that we knew nothing about. And we have a very small family. And this woman died without uh, children, without anything, and so they and, and left meh, a bit of money. And they were trying to figure out who, by law, had some, uh, you know, would, should get some of it. Well, one thing has led to another. I mean, we've ended up having to, you know, send in birth certificates, uh, divorce papers, marriage certificates, whatever it required to, to prove who we are in our lineage. And it turns out that the company who gotten in touch with us makes uh, money doing this. When estates um, are, no one's there to claim an estate. Um, they get to work. They're genealogical uh, folk, and they search records. And, and then, by doing so and alerting people like me that, hey, you got some money coming to you when you didn't even know this person existed, they, of course, get a cut of anything they recover. So, you know, every, everybody wins. It's found money. Nobody knows. Uh, so... Um, I won't bore you with too much detail here, but uh, yeah, we we passed the we we did it. Um, we don't have the money yet, but it turns out in uncovering, in proving that we were direct descendants of this woman who we didn't know, but certainly should have. She lived in Chicago, where so many of our it was just bizarre. We found a whole hunk of family that we had known nothing about. And it didn't jive with, jibe, right, with the story 
that we had been told was the history of our father's father. So I think often in families there is this mythology of the immigrant generation. That was my father's father was an immigrant. And uh, classic American dream came with nothing, ended up being a respected uh, owner of a furniture store in Green Bay and, uh, you know, blah, 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 classic. But we had been led to believe that there was a whole story about his mother, he was born in Lithuania, his mother died, his father quickly remarried, the evil stepmother threw him out, and his brother, when they were just little, you know, tiny, not tiny, they were like 12, 13, 14, whatever, and so they made their way to America. Um, that's sort of maybe true. Uh, it turns out his father, and all of this from the genealogical stuff that these people had done to figure out if I was related to her. It turns out then my great-grandfather, whose name I never even knew, was married to a woman, had four children. She died. He remarries. This is in now Lithuania. I think. The, the borders kept changing. <laughs> you can really, seriously. I'm from Russia. Oh, no, excuse me, today it's Lithuania. I'm serious. That's what, what, what was happening. And then the father quickly remarries. And then clearly doesn't give a damn, doesn't protect his children from his first wife. And the way our family always told the story was the evil stepmother. And I'm thinking, wait, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait, why blame his second wife? Where was he in protecting his firstborn son, that was my grandfather, Where, why, why wasn't he protecting these children? So it was interesting, though, the evil stepmother was the story I grew up with. Well, I'm deciding, no, it's my evil great-grandfather. Now, I think, although it's still, pfft, he goes on to have eight more children with the new wife. We assume, did Susan and I tell this story a little bit? Yeah. We then assume that that whole end of the family perished in the Holocaust because we never heard of any of them making it out. That's where we were wrong. I happened to ask the woman, do you have a death, do you know where my great-grandfather died and when? And she said, much to our astonishment, he died in Chicago. I said, my great-grandfather? He died in Chicago. And then it turns out this guy had come to the United States with the new wife and all of these kids, had settled in Chicago where his own children from the other were right in the neighborhood, as were some of his grandchildren, and he never got in touch with them? 
So we have this whole big hunk of family, from half family, from the same father, and that's where this woman had come from, and not to know. And what's bizarre, and also not to know, that my grandfather had two other siblings we never even heard of. And then we find out my father had a brother who died in infancy who'd never heard of him. As she's saying on the phone, well, your grandfather married my namesake, Ida, and they had six children. And I said on the phone, no, 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 they had five children. She said, no, 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 they had six. I thought, what? I mean, I know all those people. There was a sixth? Odd. So families are always... You wonder, I know with 23andMe and all this DNA stuff, people are uncovering, you know, skeletons in the closet or things they'd been told about who was who in the family don't, don't really check out once you get into the DNA. Well, we did our DNA and it didn't, didn't have any big shockers, but my God, this did. And I, I don't know. I feel, first of all, like I, there, were, there are people I should have known in my life as I was growing up, but we always said we had such a small family. No, we didn't. <laughs> we had a big family, and we all lived in the, you know, the Chicago, Wisconsin area, and all were, you know, it's odd. And I grew up with my father, absolutely, one of the mantras in my house was that family is, family and community are what is important. That you have, you know, important, important, important. But he didn't even tell us he'd had a brother. He Maybe he didn't even know he had a, a, a brother, my father that died. What? Anyway, so odd when families get together. And I feel like we learn this stuff too late because everyone who could corroborate or fill in stuff, all, all the ones in my father, the, the next generation, they're all dead. And uh, my, my mom doesn't, didn't know any of this because she married in. So I, just odd stuff, really. Fascinating. And by the way, it turns out there's so many descendants of this woman. That, and because we're half, we're not full. We're, we're part of the first wife's line, not the second. She was part of the second wife's line. So um, we get half of whatever they get. And by the time you divvy up all these cousins, uh, Susan and I figure we'll be lucky if we get 34 bucks. <laughs> Which is okay, because what's so cool about all of this is sort of is reclaiming a history. And with what we have now, we can dig uh, we can dig further, which um, is fascinating. So some of you have looked at my mom's picture. Laura writes, not only doesn't she look ninety six, 
<laughs> she doesn't dress like a 96-year-old I ever knew. She's, so, she's always the most stylish, always. I was looking at her at the party that night, and I looked around the room, and she always looks better than anybody else. The style, the clothes, the, and it works on her. It doesn't look like, why would that 96-year-old woman be wearing that dress? Whoa, because she rocks it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so Laura says she's so stylish. You and Susan are beautiful in your own way. Thank you very much, but yeah, don't hold a candle. Remember, you have half of your father's genes. Yes, right. And glad you are back. Little Tony says, your mom looks great. She sure doesn't look 96. Wow. You're blessed to have her. Oh, gosh. I mean, do you? I mean, I know. And I sometimes think... I yap about her too much because um, so I'm it's I'm so lucky I'm so lucky to be my advanced age and uh, to still have my mom in my life and to have her be so vital and beautiful and and with it I mean some of the gifts people gave her she gets books because she reads voraciously so someone gave her the it just came out the um prison letters of Nelson Mandela <clears throat> and uh you know that's the kind of stuff she reads so she sets the bar high and i know and i i am i know how lucky i am and i can't even imagine not having her around Anyway, okay, so sorry, very personal stuff, but um, also, I wasn't really following the news uh, while I was gone because I, you know, like to give myself a bit of, I mean, I'm aware, but um, so I don't have a lot of stuff here, and I have to tell you that there's just a few things I want to say, number one. This uh, white nationalist or whatever they call the, 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 these idiots in D.C. Uh, yesterday, uh, if you have a rally or that gets huge attention prior to it, and during it, and all of that kind of stuff. If at that rally, there are more representatives of media, by far, than people actually attending the rally. If there are more counter-protesters, by far, than the people who are actually having the rally, then what does that tell you? Because that's, that's absurd, you understand. That you have fewer than 20 people. That's what it was. Fewer than 20 nincompoops. And they command the attention of every major news outlet in this country. Police 
are there in incredible numbers costing the D.C. taxpayers God knows what. They are there, of course, to protect the nincompoops. And then you have all the people who came to stand against what they, who they are and what they were about. And they outnumber the protesters. You know, who knows? What was it? 10 to 1? 20 to 1? 30 to 1? 100 to 1? How absurd is this picture? And what does it tell you? It tells you that our media are so easily led by the nose. And that's unsettling. I would think once you, I, 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 I mean, I, I don't know. There's something bizarre about the picture. I am telling you that. If you have ten times, if you have twenty photographers for each demonstrator or protester, whatever these people were, if you have, you know, thirty reporters for each, de- something's wrong. Okay. And something suggests that they, these protesters, do not deserve the attention they attracted. Right? That'd sort of be... I have seen larger protests. My God. Uh, In neighborhoods that don't even get local coverage. There has been an ongoing demonstration in front of the White House, right, since uh, the president stood up there and in Helsinki next to his, uh, his, the love of his life, Vladimir Putin. There has been a demonstration outside the White House ongoing that has received almost no coverage. And that demonstration has gone on for now weeks and weeks and sustained itself. It has more people in attendance at any moment than were at this nonsense over the weekend in, in D.C. One gets no coverage. None, almost none. The other gets this absurd coverage. Something ain't right about what our media see as newsworthy events, how they rank them, rate them, put, uh, you know, put their reporters on them, assigning them, how they deploy the the people they have to do their job, which is to tell us what's happening. This is part of why I am no longer, I'm not talking about Amarosa today. 
although I turned on CNN this morning when I got up to see what they were talking about, and Omarosa, that is not what we need to be having wall-to-wall hourly coverage of waiting for the president's next tweet so we can maybe throw something else in. You know what I mean? Boy, we are ill-served by the judgment of our media. I really think there are huge stories to be considered and events which we need to pay very careful attention to in these very consequential times. And Amarosa ain't one of them. And a few pinheads getting together in Washington yesterday evening also are not. What they represent might be. And those stories take more digging require a longer focus, but I read an interesting quote uh, that from Roger Ailes, the evil genius who gave us Fox News. And he said, the way you attract an audience is two ways. Pictures and problems. Okay, so you create anything into a problem, like Trump has done with immigration, I mean, and, and put made it into some, you know, something that doesn't really exist in the way that he characterizes it. And pictures, events, so the fact that this was to be a rally, the fact that there was a potential for violence, this is what draws our media because what are they about? Attracting eyeballs, attracting an audience. If they were more serious, they would do work that does not require pictures and does not require the potential, I guess, of serious trouble. I don't know. I'm not saying this well. But I do know this. We are ill-served, and I am done. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, if only to remind myself of it. I am done jumping when Trump and his minions say jump. I am done looking over there when they say, look, Amarosa, skinheads, I'm done. I'm using my own judgment and looking where it makes sense to me to look. Because I ain't chasing eyeballs. I'm chasing. I'm chasing. Tr- 
truth, reality, uh, a toehold to get a to get a fix on what is going on, so that I can better fight it. CNN ain't going to help you with that. ABC, NBC, CBS are not going to help you with that. All in all, if you take in a lot of different media and use your own ability to think critically, you'll be in better shape than tuning in to CNN, MSNBC, or whatever the hell you do. I, I think they're all lost. I really feel like in large part they're lost. There's some wonderful people at all of these places, but in general the the people at the top are only about creating and helping to create situations that make us watch. And that's not necessarily what we need to be paying attention to. We have a caller, I think. Hello? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Last week, I want to make a correction. I think I might have wasn't clear and misunderstood me because you got an email about it. But I wasn't talking about anybody that sits down. It doesn't work. There's a lot of people like crane operators. People work on computers. They're working. I'm not. Ta- I was talking about sit on your ass. Basically saying I phrased it wrong. Good stuff, really. But that's what I was. I was talking about like white collar execs, like. Mitt Romney types and Donald Trump, most of them are like that. They're all about themselves, and they're going to screw you in the end, the small people, and walk away with a golden parachute. That's the type I was okay, talking about. Okay, okay, okay. I, I know that email the guy said, oh, I sit more. I wasn't talking about him. I'm for the workers, always were and always will be. All right. I'm talking about the people that, you know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking That's about. That's what I was talking about. Okay. Hey, thanks. What? Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's what I... But I, one thing I was going to say, too, is maybe it's time that we limit the president's powers, you know, who, whoever it is. And I hear someone saying about abolishing the presidency <laughs> and giving it back to the Congress and all that. But there's a lot of powers they give this president right now that really they could correct it as far as the war powers and that. But it seems a lot they let that go on. And they could bring his president in, you know, write him in. Well, you know, we've been warned about the uh, imperial presidency for some time, uh, and and it always depends uh, whose president is in at the moment, how much concern you have about it. So if you have an imperial president and he's doing what you like, <laughs> you think, yeah. If you, however, then the next party comes in and uses those same powers and then all of a sudden you don't like it so much. It's quite clear that our supposedly co-equal branches are not co-equal now. Uh, The executive is the strongest. The Congress has literally become, I don't know, inconsequential in the last... We can start with the war powers. That's that's pretty easy. They don't want to touch that. No. We haven't well we haven't had a declared war since World War Two. Right. Right? Right. That's right. Korea was not a declared war. Uh, 
Vietnam was not a declared war, none of any of the other stuff, not a declared war that have not been done uh, as the Founding Fathers assumed. All right, well, yeah, I really would say that in general our Constitution is, um, is looking more and more like it doesn't fit um, a lot of our reality now. And I actually want to talk about that a little bit more. I don't know what the hell we're supposed to do, but I thank you for your correction. That's better than uh, than many. Most people don't ever correct themselves. Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 He wasn't. He was correcting a misimpression that people got. I saw this, and my blood ran cold. This is more demographic stuff. I think I was telling you what was the, there were numbers out about the percentage of Americans the vast majority of Americans will live in just eight states of the union um, I maybe that's true already I, I I'm not sure and if you think of how our government is set up <laughs> it's set up based on these you know geographic markers these states each state gets two senators and then congressional uh, districts, um, supposedly in the House, that's supposed to be a, a more uh, based on population, so that of course California has a ton of members of Congress, whereas you know Rhode Island has one, or you know North Dakota has one. It's weird they, that almost every state has more members of the House than senators. But there are these big, huge, huge geographic states that have like one congressperson because <laughs> there's no people in the state. And then they'll have two senators. So they have a great deal of power, those states, in terms of uh, the kinds of powers that, uh, that the Senate has. And, and those are substantial powers. Those are advise and consent. Those are signing off on nominees to the Supreme Court. So when you get, you know, you're facing a Supreme Court nominee, as we are now, states like Montana, Idaho, North Dakota, uh, you know, have way, anybody who lives there has like 10 votes to your one when it comes to who's going to be on the Supreme Court. This isn't right. There's no way you can argue that's right. And it's getting worse, not better. Here is the little demo thing I came across. This is from Bloomberg that made my blood run cold. Right now, as we speak, four in every five Americans live in just, in under 4% of the land of the country. So 3.6% in this huge, vast nation talking real estate now, talking land. 
four out of five Americans live in just 3.6% of that huge country. Because they live in cities. But the way we have created how the people will be represented by the federal government, it gives the people in the rest, in the 96% of the country, the vast prairies and mountains and deserts and rural and farmland, those people have so much more power in our government because of the way our government has been set up. At the time it was set up, it was set up as a compromise so that they would have enough of the delegates to the convention sign off on it or we wouldn't have a country, we wouldn't have a constitution. And so horse trading went on. The kind of horse trading that decided that a black person was three-fifths of a human being and would count as such because the census, the counting, made a lot of difference of how much power each state would have, right, in Washington. If four percent, if eighty percent of us, four out of five of us, if eighty percent of us live in four percent of the land, and that is not apparent by the way our supposedly the House of the People, the Congress of the United States, is constituted, then we do not in any way have a representative government, if you ask me. How is it possible? So when you see on election night, you know, those damn maps, where everything, the whole damn country looks red, right? And it does. Why? Because that's the 96% of land that nobody lives on except farmers, Republicans, people who are scared of cities. And if you look at where the big cities are on the coasts, mostly, that's the blue, and that's, guess what, where the people live. Four out of five. Why has our country taken on the aspect of the one out of five? The red. Why? Because our founding fathers were making compromises that worked for a long time but they ain't working anymore. And that electoral college is a one that is absolutely a disaster now. Because the electoral college does not take into consideration 
that four out of five Americans live on 4% of the land. And so we have Donald Trump as president. And so we had George W. Bush as president. The way things that are constituted now helps what is in fact a minority national party called the Republican Party. They in no way have a majority of the hearts and minds of the American people. No way. And yet, they control our government. This is in no way a representative democracy. In no way. So that we now know. How the hell we correct this, I don't know. Because strangely, we have also learned that the people who are pounding the drums, beating the drums for a constitutional convention to correct some of what they see is wrong with the Constitution, and believe me, it ain't what we think is wrong with the Constitution, are the Republicans, the corporatists. And I told you, they've gotten very far. They've got 26 states, state legislatures that have already done what they have to do to say, yes, we want a constitutional convention. You know how many they need to have a constitutional convention? 34. They've got 26, 34. And then they intend to make this even less representative. One of the things they want to do is not elect senators. Because when the country was founded, senators were not elected. They were chosen by the high and mighty in each state. The people didn't have a voice. And the Republicans, the Koch brother Republicans, want to go back to that. Make the United States of America... Our name now doesn't even, our name is such a misnomer, it's pathetic. They want to make the disunited states of America even more so. I'm just saying, here it is, Bloomberg. Urban areas make up just 3.6% of the total land. But now four in five Americans live in that 3.6%, and the number continues to grow at a rapid rate. Hey. Here's something else I saw that freaked me out. I'm surprised at this. 56% of America, this comes from Pew, Pew Research, 56% of Americans say they believe in the God of the Bible. Wow. So that's 56%, definitely a majority, who really believe then all those stories 
Well, if they believe in the God of the Bible, no wonder they don't believe in evolution and anything else. You mean they really take that as, that's amazing to me. Hey, speaking of that, so I said I stayed in a hotel in Green Bay. Um, and in the hotel, I noted, there was, of course, the Gideon Bible. And right next to it was the Book of Mormon. And I'd never seen that before. Have you? So I, being a curious type, went down to the front desk. I mean, I didn't make a special trip, but the next time I was there, I said, hey, why is the Book of Mormon there with the Gideon Bible? And the woman got very nervous looking like I was going to like say, how dare you have the Book of Mormon? But I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't. I just was curious. I said, so is the owner a Mormon, obviously? And she said, well, we have been um, taken, I guess now Marriott owns, this is an Aloft uh, hotel. Uh, Marriott is our corporate parent now. And she thought that one of the Marriott's was a Mormon or maybe the big, yeah, and that they had the Book of Mormon. Have you seen that? So what I'm wondering is, you know, hell, if, if you're there, if you want these these there to serve your customers, I mean, then, you know, have the Koran in there too. Seriously. You think people alone in their rooms, out of town, Give them a Bible, give them a Koran, give them a Book of Mormon. I don't care. But it's, I had not seen that edition of another holy book before in a major hotel. So I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, here's the thing that really freaked me out. This is from an Ipsos poll. Forty. I cannot believe this, actually. 48% of Republicans do agree that the media are the enemy of the American people. 48% of Republicans. That's We'll round that up and say half. Believe the media are the enemy of the people. And here's the even worse part. 43% of Republicans say that Donald Trump, quote, should have the authority to close news outlets engaged in bad behavior. 43% of Republicans actually, when asked by a pollster, do you believe that the president should have the uh, power to close down any news outlet that is being bad? 43%. Well, you know, I, what does that say about us? I mean, the American people. I think, number one, it says that we are uneducated. Um, do we not teach what our government is about anymore? I thought that that's what public schools were really about, was to inculcate all of the citizenry, the young kids, because there was you know, a lot of immigrants, make sure they understand what it is to be an American. And here is how our government works. 
and one of the bulwarks of our government is freedom of the press. That's media. Freedom of media, freedom of expression. It's basic. <laughs> basic. You read the Founding Fathers. It's basic. If you got 43% of Republicans who actually, yes, agree with the statement that the president should be able to close down any media outlet, then you've got 43% of Republicans who might as well be, uh, talk about illegal aliens, they might as well be extraterrestrial aliens who have landed here and have not a clue what this country is about. And these are the people who think they're so patriotic. <laughs> these are the people who get offended if somebody kneels during a national anthem these are the people who think patriotism is about singing songs and screaming slogans like USA, USA. And they don't realize that being patriotic is understanding that the president has no right, none, no constitutional right whatsoever to close down any media outlet. And that's troubling. That's troubling. Hey. You know, and and also a little quote it came up it's, it, it, it sort of dovetails nicely with that. It's a quote from somebody I never heard of. Sounds like some long dead Greek <laughs> or long dead Roman. I don't know. Who is he? Epictetus. Epictetus? Epictetus? E-P-I-C-T-E-T-U-S. Anyway, whoever he was, who is he? He's Greek. He's a Greek guy. Uh, yeah, philosopher. But we ain't talking Greek philosopher uh, 18th century. We're talking way back when they all seemed like they all were known by one name, you know. And he said this, only the educated are free. Think about that. Because those who are ignorant, those who don't know, those who aren't educated, who have no knowledge, are slaves to whoever wants to come and take them. Like the 43% of Republicans there who think the president should have the right to close. Those are uneducated people who are easy pickings. And that the only way that anybody is able to retain 
dominion of their own heads, <laughs> their own thought processes, their own souls, is to have education, to be able to critically think and assess, not to be just a sponge soaking up whatever der Führer, der Leader, der Fox News, der whatever it is you're listening to and surrendering your brain to says. Only the educated are free because they are much less inclined to be had. And we live in a culture in which being had is, well, what makes the wheels turn? Because it's a marketplace, and there's people selling stuff all the time, ideas, yes, stuff and the more you know the less susceptible you are to falling for anybody's pitch because in all that cacophony and tumult of the marketplace whether they're selling political ideas or toilet paper, it doesn't matter. Within all that, we, each individual, one of us, have to be able to navigate it and think of all the judgments you have to make every single day. Does that make sense? Is that credible? Maybe I better look into that. Could that be true? But an educated person is a person who asks questions. You will always know when somebody has all the answers, when somebody is absolutely sure that that is not an educated person. Only educated, knowledgeable people know how little they know. And so even if I might sometimes sound like I'm absolutely certain of something and come on strong, you should always be, uh-huh, well, yeah, maybe, sounds good. But ultimately, all of us have to safeguard our own selves because the chaos of our mm, free marketplace is a heck of an environment to keep your balance and your integrity in, I think.
And it's why I have said since day one, since I had a mic in front of me, that I don't really think there is a more important subject that should be taught to our children as early as possible, preschool on through elementary, middle school, and just keep coming at them so that they are armed. And that is media literacy. That is being able to critically think about all this information, which is also, which is mostly disinformation, misinformation coming at them. And how we don't think that that is the most important thing to live uh, 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 your life without being had is just amazing to me. It's the most important knowledge there is, and most of us are pretty illiterate. Most of us are sitting ducks. And it's because we've never been educated. I'm not aware. I, don't, I never took a media literacy course. I got slightly more literate about media by working in it. But I never took a course, and I'm not quite sure how one would be constituted, but it there should be. And I know there are. There's some efforts. And I recently met a marvelous woman at the University of Pittsburgh who desperately wants to create a center for this kind of thing, critical thinking and media literacy. And it, it stems from what she sees happening in our country and she herself was a refugee as a child from a totalitarian regime and she sees stuff here that chills her blood as a matter of fact I'll have to have her on the show because I think you should definitely meet her soon all right, so I guess that's pretty much it. Let's see, Chuck wrote, regarding the Electoral College, it is only used for electing the president. I'm right. I'm relatively certain in every other election in the country we use popular vote to determine the winner. Yeah. Just as the Democratic Party has now done away with superdelegates, the Electoral College must go away, too. But you'll need a liberal court to pull that off. Well, we'll need more, more than that. I mean, it would take a constitutional convention. It would take a constitutional convention. And you would also have to have democratic, the Democratic Party controlling most state legislatures, which is totally the opposite of what exists now, because states would have to sign off on the constitutional, uh, you know, you have to have states ratify it, you have to have, I mean, it would be well nigh impossible, I think, again, because so many states are red. They don't have people in them, but they're red. 
Regarding the media, what would Walter Cronkite or Harry Reasoner think of the drooling dogs we now count on to bring us responsible reporting? For every piece of breaking news, we now have a four-person panel discussion to fill the hour. That's not news. This, that is not news, which is why turn it off. If you're watching more than one hour of CNN, you're wasting your time. Find the, the hour where you think the host is most adept at eliciting information um, and watch that hour, but to be listening to it, numbing your head hour after hour after hour, listening to other, I mean, and granted, some of those panels, you hear information that is interesting and or, but my God, they just worry and work one story when there is so much for us to be paying attention to, and we are not. I have to end, but you did see that the orca finally let her baby go. Carried that dead baby two weeks. And now the mother's health is in jeopardy. But she finally let her baby drop to the bottom of the sea. Okay, don't forget to smile and enjoy the sun and be nice to each other, okay? See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.